0: warm welcome to you all hope you'll soundly enjoy our program
1: Drill Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies, with just a hint of professionalism. Good morning, Scott here, with me along for the ride this morning, as per usual, it's Stephen. Good morning, sir.
2: Good morning, it's uh, Deja Vu kicking <laughs> in.
1: Um, oh, I, the listener won't know a, what that refers to, you've got to tell well, we them every, now. We do this every week. No, so. no, no, go on, give them a peek behind the curtain. <laughs> oh, this is,
2: this is about the third time we've tried to
1: um, You or me just... Garbling
2: uh, yes. wordage. So we're here now.
1: Ever the professionals.
2: Uh, this is yeah. This is the hint of professionalism <laughs> that the, the uh, audience have come to um, accept and love. And, yes, <laughs> to, to begrudgingly accept. <laughs> and um, we're happy to be here um, with uh, quite a fine movie, to be honest. And a, another part of our series, as oh. you're about to going explain to him.
1: As I've tried explaining previously, the listener will never know. Yeah, it's it's our run up to. The kitchen Sink, British New Wave, Social Problem, Angry Young Man series, whatever you want to call it. And we've elected to just have a look at some of the, the precursors to that genre of movie, some of the influences, some of the films that are about the time and some of the films that came after. It's a big project. We're right in the middle of what's described as the Social Problem movie era. That, yeah. Yeah, we think this this sort of is from mid to late 50s for about 8 or 9 years there's a there's a definite trend that british movies are focusing on this type of film we saw a bit of it in pool of london to a certain degree last time uh we certainly saw it in it always rains on sunday and what we're doing here is violent playground from 1958 and the reason it's included, and I hope you're going to agree with me that it's it's the basil dearden Michael Ralph partnership, and it's highlighting something that was very relevant at the time because it's the rock and roll era, teenage delinquency and and some some very bizarre rock and roll sequences that we will talk about but violent playground first time watch for you yes does it does it fit in what we're trying to talk about
2: It absolutely does, yeah, and you can see as you just said that's the progression as the um the filmmaker particularly probably being you know somewhat older trying to get their heads around this new teenager yeah. thing which you know we've got to recognize that previous to sort of the 50s didn't teenagers exist. didn't really exist <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: no. and um, it's sort of a response to things like the blackball jungle as well that were going on over the over the atlantic um, and it wasn't actually yeah, released in yeah. the US because there were so many of that type of movie being released over there. There just wasn't room for a British version, apparently.
2: Yeah, and it only got, as far as I remember, I think I've read um, that it, it did get a release um, in subsequent years due to um, David McCallum, who's, who's one of the lead parts in it, Yes, um, getting fame... Man from Uncle and then also because of the Beatles and the Liverpool. It's the Liverpool connection. connection. Thing. Yeah. Um but otherwise, yeah, it, it was it got, you know, better um acclaim in, in the UK and Europe and I think, you know, Australia and New Zealand. But yeah, they didn't distribute it initially in, in the States because of absolutely Blackboard Jungle being the, the prime example of one that was too close um in feel mm. to this. Um but yeah that the, the the struggle, this is the kind of film that was done, there was a number of them, that, the struggle to understand the, t- the teenager and particularly to understand rock and roll as not being some kind of magic spell cast upon teenagers to um, to corrupt them, that it was just a type of music. Yeah. <laughs> <Really>. yeah. <laughs> and they couldn't get their heads around that initially. <laughs> it was a weird. But then exactly the same happened with jazz, I think. going. Oh, back.
1: yes. Well, what we'll do, before we go into our review, I've put together another one of those little documentaries that takes up the period from our last one, which was Pool of London, up to here, just giving a little bit of a history of some of the movies that were about at the time as we make our way through this whole series. So let's take a break. We'll be back after this. (laughs) By 1952, the police drama and social problem genre were gathering pace on British cinema screens. A typical example is The Frightened Man, directed by John Gilling. It starred Dermot Walsh, Barbara Murray and Charles Victor, also known as Rosellian's son, it tells the story of rag and bone man Roselli, whose dreams for his son Julius are shattered when the young man is sent down from Oxford University after getting poor grades. Julius then gets involved with a gang of Jewel thieves, and unknown to him, his father just happens to be their fence. When the gang plan a raid on a jewelers in Hatton Garden intending to cut out Roselli, he tips off the police unaware that his son is actually a member of the gang.
0: Ah, Connie, I'm glad you spotted those vases. I'll have to check up on my source of supply. You will, won't you? Cornelius, a rose hath no sweeter scent than thine. <coughs> Mr. Roselli, I refuse to stand any more of Mr. Stone's insults. He insulted you? Repeatedly. What's he say to insult you? He persists in sniffing me and telling me that I smell nice. I appeal to you. Do I smell nice? No, no. You don't smell nice at all. There must be some mistake. There's no mistake, I assure you, Mr. Roselli. And what's more, I feel it my duty to repeat to you my warning against that man. How you mean? I tell you he's a crook. Oh, no, no, no. I expect no. you'll think I'm prejudiced, but I've seen him in the company of some pretty low characters. And I'm perfectly certain he trades with them. No, no, you are quite wrong about the vases. He explained to me. Ali. I have known for many years he is not crook, believe me. You think nice things about everybody, Mr. Rizellish. Well, I do. Everybody's nice. <laughs> you are nice. You don't smell nice, but you <laughs> smell all right.
1: Film historians Steve Chibnall and Brian McFarlane would note many years later that the film won considerable praise for being authentically staged effectively directed thrilling and human Tosh Boy, also known as The Slasher, or The Tough Guy, holds the distinctive honour of being the first of the social problem movies to receive the new X-certificate in 1953. A film not only about violent young criminals, it also tackled unmarried teenage sex, pregnancy and abortion. Daring stuff for the time. Rarely discussed today, the movie featured an early performance from a young Joan Collins, along with Hermione Badley. Lawrence Naismith and Sid James The movie was directed by Lewis Gilbert who'd go on to direct Reach for the Sky Alfie and Sink the Bismarck along with Shirley Valentine and educating Rita in the 1980s and three of the James Bond movies
0: Half a minute Walsh Caught you just in time didn't we? In time for what? The inspector wants to ask you a few questions Yeah? Would you care to tell me where you were last night Walsh? I don't mind. At the youth club, we had a dance on. Why? Were you there at eleven? I was there all the evening, finished at 12. Had the last waltz with Marlene Smith. Not bad either. Got your alibi, Pat, haven't you, Walsh? I'm on probation. I know you can't fool me. You're here for the good of me health. What's it all about, anyway? A woman was coshed last night by two boys on the corner of Jubilee Terrace. They got away on bicycles. I ain't got a bicycle. You could have borrowed one? Maybe I could, but I didn't. You can't dance with a bicycle. Or haven't you heard? Cheek won't get you anywhere, my lad, except into trouble. Stay not bad. She's in hospital. Go on. Want me to send her some flowers? Don't be too clever, will you, Walsh? The jails are full of people who are too clever, you know. I'm only on probation. And so, on to
1: 1956, and a brief mention here for Yield to the Night. Included here not only for the staggering performance from Diana Dawes proving that she really could act and was not just a pretty face pin-up, but for the director, J. Lee Thompson, who was proving himself to be a first class director of the social problem genre.
0: Do you believe in God? Oh yes, I believe in God. Your religion means a lot to you, doesn't it? I couldn't live without it. I wish I could believe like that. God is with us all, whether we believe in him or not, even when we can't feel his presence. It's easy for you to talk. You're not going to die in the morning. Have you ever thought we all, all of us, die some morning? make me want to die. I'm not ready to die."
1: The film was released at a time when Britain's death penalty was subject of intense national debate and although not explicitly about the hanging of Ruth Ellis the year before, the comparisons were obviously going to be made. Generally regarded now quite rightly as one of the finest British movies not just of the 1950s, but of all time. Two years later, Diana Dawes would appear in another movie that can now almost be viewed as a tacky but fascinating piece of 1950s sexploitation. In the late 1950s, the BBFC reluctantly allowed producers to tackle the tawdry subject of prostitution, providing that the movies masqueraded as what became known as Awful Warnings. Passport to Shame is a typical example and is introduced by none other than Fabian of the Yard. So cheap and tacky was the film that his director, Alvin Rakoff, said, This was not a low-budget film. It was a lowest budget film. I'm hungry.
0: Give me something. Anything. If you want food, you got to No. I gave you your chance. You could have. I go to the police! I'll go back to France. You are wanted by the police in France for the cafe job, remember? We framed you. Get Maria. I won't do it. I don't care if you kill me. I won't, I won't, I won't. Have a look at her face. Oh, no. 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 See what a few drops of acid can do? Maria too was a girl who wouldn't look at a man. Now no man will look at her.
1: Personally, I quite like the movie. Not necessarily for the script or the subject matter, but for the introduction of new talent on and off the screen. There's an uncredited appearance from Michael Caine as a bridegroom, Jackie Collins as one of the prostitutes. Blink and you'll miss Joan Sims as a telephone operator. And behind the scenes, there's Nick Rogue, later to find fame as director of The Man Who Fell to Earth, Don't Look Now and Walk About, as camera operator. Throw in Herbert Lom as the vicious gangster Nick Biagi and the marvellous Eddie Constantine, who'd appear 20 years later in The Long Good Friday, a far superior example of the seamier side of London gangland life. 1958 would also see the release of another Basil Dearden-directed movie, Violent Playground. Featuring an all-star cast including Stanley Baker, Peter Cushing and David McCallum, the film focuses on a relatively recent development in the world of the social problem, that of the teenage delinquent. David McCallum would reference roles played by Marlon Brando, James Dean and in particular Vic Morrow in The Blackboard Jungle. In the movie, rock and roll is presented as a negative influence that can literally transform teenagers and put them into trance-like states. Set in Liverpool, the film features a diverse group of poor working class players, including the Irish community, mixed race and black characters, and two very important characters that are Chinese.
0: I'm looking for a volunteer, sir. You are that volunteer. Yes, sir. Well, that's settled. You start today. Sir, may I ask what I volunteered for? Yeah. You've been with CID for eight years. Yes, sir. Burglary, criminal assault, cinema murder, dope. It's not me that's done those things. Uh, Not a bad record, Sergeant. Not at all bad. Thank you very much, sir. Do you know Sergeant Turnbull? Crime prevention, yes, sir. He's sick. Juvenile liaison, sir. Juvenile liaison. The care of the young, Sergeant. No longer will you be trying to lock people up. You will be trying to prevent children from being locked up. Me, yes, sir? L- looking after kids? The-, the toddlers? Me? From 5 to 17. Keeping them out of trouble. Handling kids is not my line at all, sir. You volunteered, Sergeant. Um, sir, about this firefly. You get your fires and your crooks and your and murderers. And spend your time seeing that the children of this city grow up a little less antisocial than some of their elders. Sir, I know I know it's important, but well, I don't even like kids. I, I'm clumsy, I'm tactless, I'm brutal, I'm not a juvenile liaison officer.
1: Stanley Baker plays a local juvenile liaison officer, and complications ensue when he falls in love with the sister of his young client, David McCallum. And there's a fine performance from Peter Cushing as the well-meaning local priest doing his best to heal all the social problems of his parish, in particular the local street gangs and rising crime. The film touches upon the growing belief that at the time that tough inner city estates were becoming a breeding ground for unrest and criminal activity amongst the youth. But at the same time, in the movie's prologue it praises the work and success rate of Merseyside's juvenile liaison officers. And keep an eye out for a young Freddie Starr as one of the gang members. Read this.
0: Read it. I've read it. Read it out loud. Last night the fire alarm sounded in the city again. Police believe the firefly struck at 11.30pm. Who's the firefly, Slick? I don't know who the firefly is. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny, you should have seen that by the fire, Johnny, Tommy. Who's the firefly, Tommy? That's you, Johnny. You're the firefly boy. Kick him. Stop him, Johnny. Stop him. Who's the firefly? I wouldn't say, Johnny. Not to anyone else. Kick him. (laughs) Honest, Johnny, I wouldn't. Who's the firefly? I don't know. Who said kick him? But I thought you... You can't think. (laughs) Johnny. Wipe your nose. Johnny, Johnny, what a fire, Johnny. The best of luck, Johnny. What a fire. Yeah. It was a good fire. Great, Johnny. Did it got the joint. Not off. Were the cops there? All there, Johnny. And the others? The fire brigade, the ambulance, the newspaper men.
1: All there, Johnny, all there.
0: Good for you, kid. Well, this place stinks. I'm going to take some air. It just stinks. Let's go, eh?
1: Violent Playground, released in the UK, March 1958... Directed, as we've already hinted at, is Basil Dearden. Starring Stanley Baker, Anne Haywood, David McCallum, Peter Cushing, John Slater, Clifford Evans. I'm not going to mention all the names because we need to talk about the Hall of Fame in a second. Yeah. There is a young lad called Fred Fole.
2: Hmm.
1: We will talk about him in a second. The synopsis. Sergeant Truman, played by Stanley Baker. There's a policeman who deals with juvenile delinquents. He visits the Murphy household after a theft by the young twins, Mary and Patrick. There, he meets their older sister, Cathy, played by Anne Haywood, and soon begins a romantic involvement with her. However, Cathy's brother, Johnny, David McCallum, is the leader of an infamous local gang and doesn't like to see his sister with a cop. Gradually, Truman starts to see a link between Johnny and a string of local arsons. Let's go straight into the Hall of Fame, because... (laughs) On Monday last week, it was one of those wonderfully, unfortunately rare occasions when you and I actually got together in yes. person. You you happened to be in London for a couple of hours. I just happened to be thirsty. We met in a yeah. pub, <laughs> as per usual. And, and you
2: bought me, you bought me my tea. I bought that your lunch. Yeah. And it's showing off on your app. That's
1: all. <laughs> yeah. The Weatherspoons, <laughs> app, the mighty Weatherspoons app. Yeah. Um, and I was sitting chatting with you, usually about the podcast, as it always goes back to whenever we meet up, you know, we can't stop talking about movies and podcasting and stuff. And I said to you, have you had a look at the Hall of Fame for this particular movie? And I think you'd had a little bit of a dip it's in your toe in the water. It, yeah. yeah. And then I had to mention a couple of names that were like, oh, w- w- wow, where did that come from? Sort of thing. So as as custodian of the Hall of Fame, let I will let you take over for the next probably ten minutes as we go. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, well, one of, one of the things that did come out of the conversation was that there was somebody who's um, I was aware that it had, um, was making an impact upon the um, Hall of Fame. Yeah. But I didn't realise to what extent. I I thought he was a the sort of two stage two appearances, two appearances stage, but in actual yeah. fact he's at six um <laughs> which is a, a bit of a revelation to find out Actually, this um, makes it seven so this makes it, it seven yeah let's yeah. see what see so, what you've
1: got for this particular gentleman yeah
2: so um well i've got down i've i must have missed one then because i've only got six listed down for him i've got violent Playground, obviously i've got yep. night to remember
1: yeah
2: uh, bunny lake is missing yep. which we've done recently the reckoning Yep. Ten Rillington Place yep. and
1: Sweeney. OK, I've also got him in Please, Sir, the movie.
2: Please, Sir, the movie. Uncredited,
1: right? as most of these are. Yes,
2: and that's a th- that was, uh, I think, why he, he sort of escaped a bit of notice on it. Um, Gentleman's uh, name
1: is John Tatum.
2: John Tatum, yeah, who <laughs> now is um, level pegging <laughs> with Martin Boddy, or body. I don't know how to pronounce yeah. that, um, and only just one behind the the, the governor, uh, cyril chamberlain
1: snapping at cyril's heels the pair so, of them which yeah. is you
2: know something to definitely of claim.
1: <laughs> but um
2: so that that anomaly um out of the way and um, obviously this is um this is a, a repeat appearance again for um we don't normally do directors and producers this and one we with have some to, exceptions but yeah. this one basil did and as you've mentioned um is is you know again appearing after doing the man who haunted himself, uh, legal gentleman in the pool of London, and this won't be the last time we encounter this gentleman at all because Certainly he was not. prolific, um, particularly in this genre of of films, um, and you know his partnership, as you, you know, you're going to expand upon um, with with other people, with, Michael with, Ralph, uh, yes, sort of the producer. As, yeah. yeah,
1: Um So he was already in the all of Hall of Fame, and so this is number four, yeah. potentially number five, because we did. We did an episode on the blue lamp, which unfortunately disappeared. Um, Have we got any other inductees? I mean, Michael Relf was producer. Um, I don't know if you picked up on this. Obviously, there was a great working partnership. So um, he was producer on The Man Who Haunted Himself, The League of Gentlemen and Pool of London. So this is his fourth appearance as well. Anybody else?
2: Yes. Um, We have um, a man called Stanley Baker. Never heard of him. No, um, he's he's you know not very well known. Um, he appeared in a, a film called Zulu, which nobody's oh, ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, and um, also Hell Drivers.
1: <laughs> Hell Drivers, of course. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and strangely enough, in Hell Drivers, um, his um, younger brother in that film was a guy called David McCallum, <laughs> yeah. who actually does a, get his third appearance as well, due to um, appearing in Violent Playground, Hell Drivers and A Night to Remember. There we go. Um, now, and that's a bit weird, really, because there were there were like 12 or 13 people who were in this film who were also in A Night to Remember.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, Oh, Night to Remember is going to account for a lot of appearances across the years. We're going to find that as we get inductees into the Village Hall of Fame, Ninety percent of them appeared in A night to remember. <laughs> yeah. <It> certainly <laughs> does seem that way. You know, the fifteen hundred passengers. There must have been fifteen hundred extras. So, you know yeah. <laughs> Um I've got another inductee unless you've There is another one. Yeah. I've got John Slater. Uh that's the one I've got, yep. Yep. Yeah. Round
2: Fairground, it always rains on a Sunday and passport to Pimlica. Play Sergeant um, Walker
1: in this movie. So yeah. yeah.
2: There are there are two of them that have got um that have built upon the Mordi appearing in the um, village hall of fame as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Um Stratford Johns. He's in already, isn't he? I he's believe? he's
2: already in, so this is his fourth appearance. Yeah. And um a guy called Jack Sharp, um this is his fifth appearance.
1: I think I missed so Jack Sharp.
2: He's he's snapping at the heels of Wow. Um,
1: what was you know, Mr Sharp one. in things? I think um, I missed um, him.
2: Night to Remember, obviously. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> about I was saying Heavens Above. Oh right, yeah. Um, Man for All Seasons and 10 Rillington Place. There
1: we go. So a very productive Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, and just noteworthy, not um, multiple appearance, but noteworthy. This is the first time we've done a film with Peter
1: Cushing in it. I've got a note saying that. It says, Peter Cushing, first appearance, exclamation mark. And also
2: noteworthy, just to to sort of point out, that obviously previously in um, Hell Drivers there was... um, Stanley Baker and yeah. David Callum playing brothers, yeah. um, you know that sibling connection going on there. But we've actually got in in this film the the two um, Chinese actors, yes, um, Michael Chow and Sai Chin, yeah.
1: uh,
2: playing Alexander and Primrose, who um, are prolific in, in film. Um, but they're actually real life brother and sister. As well as brother oh, and sister know in the that. film,
1: and he's still acting. He's still active. Now. They both are actually. Oh, hey. yeah. wow. I mean,
2: she's she's noted for being the first um, Asian Bond girl. Um, oh, and, and she's appeared in two Bond films. In fact, it must she be was, you only lived twice. She was she was um, more recently in um, oh you, Casino Royale, I think she appeared in as well. So she's been in two Bond films. She, I think, Bonds.
1: she's the lady at the. Um the casino that's got the Komodo dragons in it—is that casino uh, royal? Oh uh, well, yeah, could be. Wow. Um, well, that's so yeah. So um,
2: and as you say, the, this is also notable for being the first screen appearance of um, the mm. the man Fred
1: <laughs> Fred Fowl Fowl. Yeah,
2: um, who who went on to um, more notoriety yes. um, as Freddie Starr. He was indeed. Um, and in, in fact he's the only person in this entire film that does have a Scouse accent despite it being set in Liverpool Exactly.
1: That. we'll have to pick up on this as well because I was talking to Anthony from the superb Glass Onion podcast the John Lennon podcast that I appeared on when I mentioned we were doing this he went, is that the one that's set in Liverpool where nobody is actually Liverpudlian?" and I went, yes that's the one it's it's quite remarkable yeah, and a lot he's of the is, exception to the rule he, is, is, he, he is. is
2: whereas the rest of them, yeah And, you know, when you've got a London bus going by in the background, you know, it's uh,
1: not very old. There is a couple. I mean, the school, I think, was filmed in Stepney. But the the estate is quite a famous estate in Liverpool. And we'll talk about that as well, possibly, that was was pulled down in about 1987. Yeah. Um, Peter Cushing. Possibly the reason we haven't done many Peter or any Peter Cushing movies is because we're avoiding the Hammer stuff. Because we're coming up with a project relating to Hammer films. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. that's probably why he hasn't appeared. This is also the same year that he makes his first appearance as Van Helsing. So it's round about that sort of period, anyway. Notable appearances in here that are, that are probably not going to trouble the Hall of Fame in you know in any short period of time. George Cooper, who plays the chief inspector, probably most famous as Mr Griffiths, the caretaker in Grange Hill. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. from Leeds, that fella. Is he? There we go. And who else was there, I noticed, that was quite famous? There's a young Melvin Hayes. Yes. Who is also uncredited, but he does actually get a speaking part. He
2: does, yeah, amazing. I don't know why he wasn't credited with
1: it. Yeah, the page boy at the hotel is a very young Jeremy Bullock.
2: Yes, he's been uh, night nice to remember as well. Yeah, <laughs> what <So>. a surprise!
1: <laughs> um, and apart from that, I mean, Meg, who is Bernie Swanson, we're going to see her because she goes on to appear in Carry On Cabby and Look Back in Anger when we finally get to the actual kitchen sink stuff. So, yeah, awesome. there's about
2: eleven people who are, who are on their second appearance due to this film. So you were right
1: about it being
2: being one that was going to um, boost the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we need to go through our, our massive spreadsheet and, and update, I think, because mm. it's getting out of hand, isn't it? <laughs> but it's good. It's good. Yes, yes. It's throwing up surprises.
2: It's good to recognise these people who could be mistaken for being just um, sort of a lesser mortals, bit part players, but in actual fact, with the, the stalwarts of British cinema, And, um, you know, us recognising them is probably not as much as they deserve, but at least it's better than nothing.
1: Yeah. Let me go back then. Let me talk about, you hinted at this just a second ago, about this partnership between Basil Deard and Michael Ralph. We've said many times before, Basil Deard and the unsung hero of of British cinema and died quite tragically at a young age in a car crash, I believe, just not long after surprisingly the man who haunted himself which is the the focal point of that story let me just run very quickly through this this little list that I've drawn up it's let's call it the Deirdre and Ralph social problem series for want of a better phrase okay go back to 1947 there was a movie called *Frida*. okay I think it's one of the social problem ones because it's just post-war and it's to do with an RAF officer who returns with his new bride who happens to be German. Mm. So you can see the conflict and and the sort of social issues that are going to go on with that one. 50, The Blue Lamp, obviously. Famously Dirk Bogart, Jack Warner, police procedural, that sort of thing. We should review
2: that sometime. We should review
1: that again, yes. (laughs) In 52, they made a movie called I Believe in You, which was about parole officers. Okay, so, you know, the criminal side of things, but from a different angle. 52, The Gentle Gunman. It's about an IRA man who's in London, who's sort of having a bit of sort of social turmoil and questioning his views and and why he's doing what he does, you know. Violent Playground, 58. Next year, and we will be reviewing this very soon, Sapphire. Yes. Racial problems and Earl Cameron and all of that business. As we go into the 60s, they worked together on a film called Victim, quite famously. It was Dirk Bogart again. It's the story about the blackmail about a homosexual, you know, still illegal at this time in the UK. So it's probably one of their best, actually, is Victim. 1962, All Night Long. This one's a bit quirky. It's, a, it's an updating of Othello set in a jazz club with Patrick McGowan amongst other people. And it's, it's sort of like the swinging jazz era of and telling the Othello story. Um, 1962 again, Life for Roof. This one's a weird one. It's about a couple, I think, Jehovah's Witnesses. It's about sort of yes, medica, medical issues. That's thing, the isn't one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they refuse the blood transfusion for their sick child. Yeah. And two more to go. I mean, there's probably more we could include in this, but I was just sort of cherry picking the main ones. One of my favourites is A Place to Go in 1963, featuring the great Mike San. Probably more famous for singing "Come Outside" with Wendy Richards, and also I think Bernard Lee, who plays M in the Bond movies, is in this. And it's about a typical London family getting caught up in a robbery, trying to get out of the the rut that they find themselves in. And Bernard Lee, who's worked on the docks or something all his life, or a factory worker, I think it is, decides to give it all up and become a street entertainer as a as a strong man. It's quite right. bizarre. It's quite bizarre. But and it's one of the more quirky ones because there's a lot of songs in it. it. gives Mike Sand a chance to sing. you know. Uh, and finally, 63. I mean, this, this is dating back to 1947, right up to 1963, this partnership that I've sort of picked upon. Yeah. Uh, the Mindbenders. It's, it's, it's a bit of a weird one. Again, it's to do with, like, scientific experimentation and mental conditioning. It's something we will pick up on at some point. But the Dearden-Ralph partnership... Some of those instantly. I mean, you recognise Sapphire, you recognise Violent Playground and Victim and the Blue Lamp. Um, it's not mentioned as much as it should be.
2: No, no. I mean, it, you know, probably recognised for things like League Gentlemen and, and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: But was this, there were
2: so many others in there. Um, you know that the smallest show sure on earth. I mean, was you know quite a oh, um, oddity as well, which yeah. is one that you know. Again, with you know, do that film and that has an avalanche of people in it that go into Hall of Fame. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the you know the 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 way in which they impacted um cinema the, the, as a pairing, mm. um, as well as individuals, is is massively overlooked. I think
1: we're not um, saying they're Powell and Pressburger, but they're certainly no, up there.
2: Absolutely, and you know there there was other things that. They were doing when the you know, one just um, as producer and director, there was other thing involvement they had in other films. Mm. Um, I think they used to uh, alternate
1: and, these social problem ones with a comedy like Yes Um Smaller Show on Earth, perhaps, you know. They they didn't just focus mm-hmm. on this particular genre. They were quite eclectic, you know. They were, they were yeah, willing green to Green Man as well. well wasn't the it, Green uh, Man. Is that the Alistair yeah. Sim one, isn't it? Yeah. 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 See, again. Why why are these guys not mentioned in in the same breath as Powell and Pressburger and even the early Hitchcocks and things, you know, they're very important. It's
2: difficult to say, really. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that because, especially the the social um, issue dramas and things, they didn't have the same... um, Cashiers as the Hitchcockian sort of yeah. fillers and and stuff. I think it was quite easy for them to to not be labelled the same way. I mean Hitchcock, although he, he did venture into into comedy um, briefly, yeah. um, didn't go particularly well. But um, it's Mrs. Um, Mrs.
1: Smith, wasn't it? That was quite light hearted, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know he he had
2: that had built a, a, a reputation around himself. For and got recognised for being doing a particular type of film really whereas these because they jumped around like we've just pointed out um, they they weren't pigeonholed and therefore they didn't get the recognition for being associated with a certain type of film and that might have affected the recognition that they um, deserved but um, certainly you know the the body of work supports um, them being recognised, yeah. um, and I do hope that the professional bodies, you know, of, of out there, have of, have given them some kind of recognition, in, even in retrospect.
1: Let's focus on this particular movie, Violent Playground. First time watch for you? Was yes. I think um, I'd seen it, but can't remember it, so it was more like a first time watch for me. Um, give us your general feelings first of all. I always ask you this: loved it, hated it, yeah, whatever. Oh, oh,
2: yes, definitely liked it. Excellent yeah, bro. it was. You know, there was, uh, a, as, as we said, there's a few bits we've been. That's that's not that's not a Liverpool accent, is it? but <laughs> but the, the the thrust of it was, you know, it was it, it was very much a film that was, um, okay, it was, of its time in the fact that it was um, earnestly trying to address these social issues, but we were certain amount misunderstanding to um, the the real. Problem that there was, and I mean, you know, it was seemed quite flippant in certain parts where it was just um, throwaway noticing that the the mother and father were both in the in the family, and therefore that was the reason for all their ills, and it, 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 that was it. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the mass poverty. No, <laughs> and things. There was the problem, uh, but the way it was approached, I mean, it could have been very, very much more um, a stereotypical, predictable um, run through. Of, um even with the, the storyline that you've put into the synopsis but it, it does actually develop into more than that and that actually stops being just just a social
1: well, uh, issue
2: did. drama into being more of a crime thriller as well no something... they 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 did that did, did battleford and um they they um they sort of mixed up not just the the social drama bit but with the crime element in there and that was you know lifts it out of just being a um, a one-trick pony, as it were, but um, both the, the the tricks that it, this pony has were were fascinating, in in
1: my opinion. The last fifteen minutes is a completely different beast from what we get at the beginning. It is, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go through scene by scene on this because I'd like people who haven't seen this to try and discover this for themselves. Because I was more than pleasantly surprised. Now, I usually give my rating towards the end of this, and I really wanted to give this a five-star rating. I was edge of the seat throughout this. Um, Stanley Baker, the more I see of Stanley Baker, the more admiration for that man. It's, It's evident, you know. I mean, I'm just researching the making of Zulu for our sister podcast, Rainbow Valley, at the moment. And I've managed to track down a copy of a biography that's been out of print, you know, just trying to get as much background into this guy as I can. And we loved him in Drivers. You know, we've always liked him in Zulu. It's nice to see another Stanley Baker film that we haven't seen, to be honest. Yes, yeah. And I don't know, I think this is more the sort of thing that people will associate Stanley Baker with, is either a cop or, or some sort of official like this or some sort of law enforcement and and the basic plot is it all starts off there's a string of arsons going on in the centre of Liverpool by somebody they're referring to as the firefly there's been about five or six buildings and things set on fire Stanley Baker being one of the detectives you know he's, he's in charge of, sort of sorting out this case but then gets a call from his superior to say he's been taken off detective duties to be pushed towards now what is the actual department is it the youth prevention something or other i can't remember what they call it it. it's
2: the um the the
1: juvenile outreach or something like that he's a juvenile liaison officer isn't he i think (laughs) is what he becomes and this is actually based on a real program in Liverpool this was
2: where it was trial which is maybe why this film was set there i think the, the took the opportunity to pick up on this was something that wasn't being done elsewhere in the country. It was being done in Liverpool with some, um, some success. Yeah. Um, and obviously they saw an opportunity to do a film, you know, tie in with that because it was particularly with the whole teenager um, sort of new phenomenon, if I can say the word I can't. <laughs> uh, not today. Um, but that, but the, that absolutely was a real thing um and obviously in some respects that's been rolled out elsewhere in the country and elsewhere in the world but it was uh, quite a new its origins thing in yeah. Liverpool yeah
1: and the premise is to to get the kids before they become hardened criminals because i think they say you know in the script that they're going to start off stealing a bottle of milk then it will become a car then it will become something else it will become armed robbery so you've got to get these kids as they're stealing the bottles of milk basically and so we've got this this arson plotline ticking away in the background, but then his first job is to his first job as juvenile liaison officer is to intercept these two Irish twins, probably about seven eight years old at the very most, uh, shoplifting. They've got a quite quite a good little scam going on. That 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 was quite clever. The thing with the cornflakes at the beginning. Yes,
2: absolutely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Hardened criminals, the pair of them, at the age of eight. And he he genuinely starts to take an interest. It doesn't take long because at first you think, oh, he's going to be this... Because he's this tough um, detective in a previous life, he's now been forced to to do something he doesn't particularly want to do. But he he seems to warm to his new role quite quickly and takes a genuine interest.
2: I think he sees... I I think his initial um, reluctance... Mm. um especially on the basis of the fact that he doesn't like kids yeah. um is is won over quickly i mean the the ribbing he gets from his colleagues to start with <laughs> is, is is dampened down by him and ignored but yeah i think he's, he he actually sees quite quickly the the logic um and how it actually does work this um this Sort of catching them early the prevention and, thing, yeah. and and pre- the prevention rather than you know um, stopping afterwards and I mean you know <laughs> not to not to sound too stupid on this but they you know the whole idea of a police force in the in the, you know in its origins is to prevent crime not to actually catch people who have already committed crimes yeah. early and and yeah. you know and um, the reason why you catch them is to stop them from doing it again really but yeah. the um, in in this he does. Um, come quickly to that way of thinking but it doesn't feel in you know, any way like he's um, that's not natural for him to do so because no. of the way way in which he, he does um, play it the, the part that well and, and the yeah. transition Is of believable? Stanley, Stanley Baker does actually do it, make it believable yeah. rather than being a sudden sort of oh well that was a quick uh, conversion <laughs> exactly, um, you, yeah. you just accept it and it does work and although um, in the synopsis included and in the, in the reviews, there was a certain amount of um, emphasis put upon his romantic involvement with the older sister. Yes, um, who yes. is an adult, should we point out? The, old sister. Um, the, the, the older <laughs> sister of, of these kids. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, they, you know, this this romance, um, you know, they don't embrace, they don't kiss. There's, you know, there isn't really a, a romance. There's a there's a warming to each other and, <laughs> and an interest in each other, but yeah. there's there's not there's not really a romance to speak of as such. They they like each other. It seems as they the film
1: comes to oh, the yeah. conclusion,
2: but um, they're not they're not actually romantically involved at, at, at that stage. Um, they haven't even re- revealed necessarily to each other they they like each other apart from at the very end in. You know, her saying, oh, you would be inviting me to the policeman's ball next, and him saying, well, would you come? And no, see, that's, I mean, that's, that's... A clo- that's the closest <laughs> it gets. I mean, it's obviously the start of something, but all the way through the film, that supposed romance between the two of them is, is very much um, on the, um, on the down low, really. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: tentative. Oh, but, there is it, mutual attraction there, but, yeah, you know, Cathy yeah. can't get involved because at the end of the day, he's a cop, you know, and they're is in it, the middle of this a, council a, estate, uh, you know. A, a blue bottle, yeah. He's a blue it's bottle, yes. You've got fireflies and blue bottles in this movie. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Talking of the actual state where this is filmed, I know we always go back, you know, we, we say, oh, back in the 60s, back in the 70s, whatever, when we were kids, we were always out playing on the street, we were never indoors, you know, playing football, hide and seek, whatever it may be. We didn't have TVs or Playstations. I've never seen so many children in one open space at any one particular time as that courtyard in the um, council estate.
2: Yeah, it's 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 interesting because um, a friend of mine um, who no longer lives in Liverpool, but mm. um, not quite what not quite that era, maybe ten years later. Yeah, um, she um, grew up in Liverpool and, and moved away in a in a tent, and um, I was actually over in Liverpool with with her for. Uh, a group of us for a meeting it happened to be just a couple of streets away from where she'd grown up and it'd been this kind of um open there'd been this open plan areas mm. um to some extent i mean hers was more the 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 art deco frontage rather than the um sort of tower blocks mm. and it, so it was the same same kind of scenery as yeah. what is depicted in this film and you know there's just you know the the stories of of sitting on on the steps um eating eating cornflakes out of out of the bag that came in the, bo- with the box and just pouring the milk in uh, a mum coming in and just pouring the milk into the bag and then eating out of out the bag and and that kind of thing and and the, you know the local shops and all this kind of stuff and so very you know that sort of reminded me of of how real this this was this depiction um although they moved it around a little bit to try and um, put a bit of artistic license on it to, to show what they wanted to show it. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is very much the, the realism of what the time was there. Well, and, and as we've said so many times before, particularly with London, um, that the the, the the streets in which these things happen are to some extent a character themselves.
1: So all the bomb sites again, even in Liverpool, yeah. we spot it here. But we're saying it's realistic. At the time, the residents of Gerard Gardens, which is this quite famous... Sort of block this estate, were up in arms at Dearden's depiction of the estate because they made it look more dilapidated and more crime-ridden than it actually was. It was quite a a nice community to live in, quite well-ordered, you know. Um, So they weren't too happy at the time. That's the artistic license they took, yeah, which...
2: You know, it's probably why none of the locals appeared as extras, and they were all apt to be bussed in from London. But
1: um, yeah, all, all from night <laughs> to remember. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but you've got even even a couple of you know a couple of episodes ago when we did the reckoning.
1: Yes. Yeah,
2: um, you've still got that sort of that grime and in and in those terraced houses and stuff as well. I mean, you've got a number of times in this film where they've got the shots. Of the 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 sloping terraced houses and and in the background the docks, um, which is you know archetypal Liverpool at the time and and to some extent still exists. Um, if you could you know do some of those shots still.
1: There was one particular shot of a street on a hill looking down towards the dock, and I thought that's bread. Yeah. That's the street where bread was filmed or or something very similar. It's it, it was nice to see a movie. I mean. We've focused... There's been a lot of London-set movies on Real Britannia. There's been a lot in Yorkshire. We have we, <laughs> ventured up to Scotland with Gregory's Girl, but it's nice to see a different location. But at the same time, the similarities are there. As we yeah. say, the bomb sites, the social problems are still the same no matter where it was filmed. But it's just interesting to have a different location and, as we've just pointed out briefly, OK, it's set in Liverpool... Probably the only one with a genuine Scouse accent is young Freddie Starr uh, because we've got Welshmen, we've got Scotsmen, we've got everything else here. I just want to go back to something you said as well about how Stanley Baker sort of falls into this role quite naturally. And I think one of his biggest influences as the character, sorry, as the sergeant, is the headmaster. Once he meets Mr. Evans, who's known as Heaven, I believe, and and witnesses his enthusiasm for the children. I think that convinces Stanley Baker that okay, these kids aren't lost causes. There is some genuine work being done in this community. I mean, one of my favourite bits in the film is it's this typical sort of bumbling, eccentric head head teacher that doesn't take any nonsense from his from his teachers. He goes into a class that's quite stuffy. And he says to the, to the teacher, what does he say to the teacher? Something about don't you, you ever.
2: You bore my, if you bore my, my kids, I'm going to bore you. I'll tell you my entire life story in, in detail. <laughs> and then I'll tell you my brothers. My brother's even more boring than I am.
1: <laughs> I love that character. It's Clifford Evans. It was absolutely yeah. fantastic. That, you know, he it's, had it's, it's, it's this genuine love and concern for all the, all the young charges under his care. And it's, Long before a time of school curriculums and SAT tests and all of this rubbish. It's a community school that's got a lot of problems going on around it. The social problems and the, and the rise of the juvenile delinquent is, is evident. But it's still at the heart of it, this community that's trying to do some good. And Stanley Baker, I think, once he witnesses that, he realises that, OK, there's more to life than just being a crime detective. There's the social side of it as well,
2: and there's there's also a, a small part in this um, that isn't emphasised really, but it it shows that there's more thought that's gone into this than is maybe initially seen. There's when he's talking about the psychology mm-hmm. of why thing you know kids are doing things, and also particularly why they're, they the in the end when you find out. The origin of, of the the reason why the fires are being started, yeah. the psychology of that is is comes in, but also there's a the reflection um, about um, from Stanley Baker about his own background. You know, it's he he grew up seemingly in the countryside, with, you know, with. Apple orchards, and his father been a shepherd, and his father's father been a shepherd, his father's father's father has <laughs> been a shepherd, and so, you know, he's realising the 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 difference, and that what this um, urban new world is uh, in difference, and that's why he needs to re, you know change his thinking, um, but and also address the psychology behind what's going on with um, these juveniles, yeah. and I think that is something that isn't isn't really given much um, emphasis in this film but it's certainly there to show that there's there's more thought going on than it just being a, a straightforward juvenile delinquent criticising for lack of family and rock and roll being the origin of it and then going into a bit of a, a crime spree there's there's more to it um, including you know the, the, the elements with race because it's again as you've said before that there's you know this is uh, to some extent shows a bit of multiculturalism in there. there there are the the um the black characters that are in there just part of the the school kids around and stuff um and then the Chinese kids particularly and I think the Chinese kids um that's a bit of a first really for them to be in there and showing that they're all facing some kind of racism but also showing on the other side that there's there is an involvement of them as well within them just being part of the rest of the kids. And there's there's that duality in there that I don't think had been much addressed previously to this film. So there are, there's, there's there's elements to this film that I think it's easy to overlook, but needs people's attention. Yeah.
1: There's one particular scene we must talk about and it is the rock and roll scene. Now, there's a point where Stanley Baker's character goes up to the flat where, where the kids live and it's overrun with this teenage gang dancing to rock and roll music, basically. But it becomes some sort of, almost like a dance-off, it's some sort of like battle of wills between the kids and the copper. And they're in this sort of like trance-like state where the, where the music has completely overrun them. But I, I want to get your thoughts on this because I was watching it and it's as if they're saying, look, we're stronger than you. We've got this. It was almost like a drug. They were, they were completely taken out of their surroundings. The poor twins are imprisoned behind a table while all this is going on. And Stanley Baker is just standing there thinking, in all my years as a cop... I've dealt with armed robbers, I've dealt with whatever. I've never come across this. Because as we said, the teenager was quite a new thing. How on earth do I deal with a situation like this? And it's quite a bizarre way of portraying what the influence of rock and roll was having on the kids. As I say, it was almost drug-like.
2: That's that's true. I mean, it's it's, put, it's like some kind of voodoo. Yes. Um, putting them into a trance-like state. And I think there was, you, you may be... Um, better place than me to to sort of cite whether this is, is was widespread or whether it was just um, occasional. But there was a there was a, a criticism of rock and roll when it first um, came about that the, the particularly the rhythm of the beats mm. was was said to be rhythmic in a in a enchanting sort of voodoo like way and it was you know
1: Tri- casting,
2: mm. a, casting a spell and um, Making them more susceptible to suggestion and 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 things, and obviously the idea that it's the devil's music as well probably yeah. came into it as yeah. well with certain quarters. And how much there was a link between the two, I don't know. But um, it was definitely you know that 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 was a portrayal of that, and how much was that them playing up to the the music and like being zombie like sort of uh, marching slowly towards Stanley Baker, or how much of it was the um, the filmmakers. Wanting to portray that as being something that was real, I'm I'm not hundred percent sure which way it was, um, but the fact that they you know they were able to, to snap out of it, but it, it it is curious that that is used as um, a, a point within the film. Yeah, it's to, it's, to, to, it's, it's weird really it's from sequence. our perspective yeah. so so far later it's on.
1: A, it's a long sequence that looks quite out of place to modern day audiences. And I don't know what the reasoning behind it was, whether Dearden and Ralph were trying to sort of shock the adult audience into, look, this is what the kids are getting into. You know, there's no mention of any drugs or alcohol or anything like this, but this music is turning them into monsters. And that was the impression I was getting. And do you know what? That's probably what some of the general attitudes may have been, as you say. But it's an interesting little three or four minute sequence that Stanley Baker thinks, these are quite dangerous kids, actually. You know, (laughs) and there was a lot of them in that one little tiny room and he was, you know, standing there on his own. But I thought we just needed to mention that particular scene. No, absolutely. It's
2: quite an interesting point culturally
1: from the outside as well
2: as um, a comment within the actual film between the characters. Um, You know, it's, it's showing that the David McCallum character, Johnny, um, his his backing and his his position as sort of the leader of a of, a, of a group that will um, blindly follow him almost, and um, you know that Stanley Baker having to reassess his position as an authoritarian, and that he can't just go in there and tell people what to do. He's got to um, got to work with these and, and get them on side rather than just you know push back against them. Um, in opposition so i think there's there's a number of elements to that scene um although it does feel a bit bit weird to us in yeah in retrospect so far from the actual um attitude towards rock and
1: roll yeah and i, I like the fact that okay this is britain's answer to blackboard jungle let's just see where this goes i mean we will have other movies that Touch of pol- There are rock and roll movies of this era, you know, it'll only be like three years later that Cliff Richard is making Summer Holiday and stuff like that. But that's a completely different type of movie. I just like the fact that the Social Problem series is, is, is just current, it's relevant at the time. Yeah. So we've got Pool of London and Sapphire touching on the race issues, we've got this touching on Teenage delinquency and rock and roll in one nice, neat little package. And we've got other stuff that we're going to see as we go along. Victim, when we get to that one, was I say, with the homosexual and the blackmail and all of that stuff that was going on in the early 60s. Can we just quickly mention a couple of people? I want to talk about Peter Cushing very quickly. Yeah. Um, as you say, first appearance in Real Britannia for Peter Cushing, playing a vicar, playing a priest. Quite an important character in this movie because he still has some influence over Johnny despite the fact that you know you think he's a teenage rebel there's still that element of religion is quite important and he's been brought up you know in that sort of background
2: yeah there's the um, element where he he's obviously had a previous um, sort of almost confessional relationship with the priest um, you know going back a number of years and although they might have drifted um, apart in that sense, there's that thing still binding them together in a in a kind of relationship of trust. Yeah, and and that gives the, the priest a bit more of a, an angle to be able to reach out to to Johnny. Um, you know, considering what's going on in in the film, and I think that's why it's quite an understated character and quite an understated performance as well. But it is important. And and I think it needs to be played in that way. So he does it exactly right. But I think it's, it's it's a delicate position within the film to actually provide that influence and provide that insight into the characters, including Stanley Baker himself. I think that's uh, that that is the role of the, the Peter Cushing character. Seems to be providing a, a, an outlet for self-examination um, yeah. of, of the different of the different ends of the spectrum as far as the characters that are in that you know Stanley Baker and and um David McCallum as um Johnny well
1: what's what's evident is the entire the entire Murphy family have this sort of bitter resentment towards police yeah but they haven't given up on the church so much so that at one point David McCallum almost as you say makes a confessional to the priest, and it's only the appearance of Stanley Baker that prevents it actually coming out. I don't want to give away too much towards the ending, but things escalate, shall we say. Yes. Now, to the point where... (laughs) okay, I'm not going to say exactly what happens. I want people to discover this for themselves, as I say. But David McCallum arms himself with a machine gun, of all things. (laughs) Yeah. And becomes the Jimmy Cagney of Liverpool. Without giving too much away, how believable, bearing in mind, this is a fairly believable movie up to this point. Does it go a little bit over the top in the last 10, 15 minutes? I
2: think it does with it being a machine gun. I think if it had been a revolver yeah. um, or some kind of pistol or even you know, shotgun or, yes. or even a rifle, really a hunting rifle or something, like that, it might have been more believable. It being a, a machine gun does take it a little bit beyond I think the the unraveling of the the character's um, path through life it going in you know go, sort of going off the rails um so suddenly I think that bit is believable because that show, shows the way that things can suddenly spiral out of control but the the I think it's only the use of the machine gun really that rather than a different type of gun that just does feel a bit stretched. Um, otherwise the 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 progression of the story into that I think um, is acceptable even though it is a bit of a turn of
1: events that you weren't expecting earlier <laughs> on in the film but even then it's quite a a modern sort of twist on things isn't it This, even though it looks slightly out of place and it's a little bit over the top you think wow that was actually brave of Basil Deard and, and the script writer to to go down that road. In fact, it's not even ten, fifteen minutes. It's longer than that. It's nearly. Oh, it's, yeah, isn't it's, it? It's, it's yeah. It's like a twenty-five, thirty minutes of the you know yeah, the it's, finale. It's a, it's the final third of the film yeah. nearly. Um, um Quite a brave move, I think. Mm. Even though it's, you can sort of suspend your disbelief a little bit, but it, it's still like wow, that's quite cool for nineteen fifty-eight. At the same time, you know. Okay. What I'm going to say is I don't want to explain too much about the the entire plot and especially the ending. I want people to discover this for themselves if they haven't. Especially if you are a fan of Stanley Baker. If you're rapidly becoming a fan of Basil Dearden as we are, certainly seek this out. I really wanted to give this 5 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I settled for 4 because it's not perfect. But at the same time, I just loved every minute of it. It was it was great to see Peter Cushing for the first time in a Real Britannia movie. It was great to see these little bit parts from, from Melvin Hayes, from Young Freddie Starr. I, I didn't spot Jeremy Bullock. I'm going to have to go back and try and find him. Interesting now to find that people are snapping at the heels of current inductees into the Hall of Fame. I'm looking forward to this whole sequence progressing. I think the next one on the list may be Sapphire, which is going to be fantastic to talk about. Let's see how it goes. Four out of five for me. Mate, how about yourself?
2: Yeah, uh, my rating system. Yeah, the, I th- don't think there's any need to go out and see it on the big screen, but with the caveat that there's some people that probably would find it difficult to to watch a black and white film. His social realism. Um, that's their loss. <laughs> um, but the uh, for everybody else, I think that this this film um, has more to it than than you would expect. Oh yeah. has more, has more entertainment to it. I mean, there's some quite good bits of dialogue in it that uh, that you wouldn't expect from something that is sold as a gritty sort of re- you know social realism, kitchen sink, yes. um, and crime. From the fifties, so I think people should should make an attempt to overcome that and 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 look for it. If you know, even if it's just taking the opportunity when it appears on talking pictures TV, because um, yes, it has an importance in in our view as far as the history of British cinema. But I think it also still has something to say about sort of the the world we live in. I think. Um, yeah. And so it's worth people taking the opportunity to watch um, when they
1: can. Yeah, I, I think it's not the best, and we will find this out as we go along, of the, the Deard and Ralph collaborations. Yeah. Um, I think Victim is probably the most accomplished out of all of them, but I've got a soft spot, as I say, for a place to go. And some of the others is absolutely fantastic. Well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But it is, I think, sort of quite sincere in what it's trying to set out to do. At the time, I can imagine, you know, this was quite revolutionary. You know, there, there must have been some sort of discourse going on about the sources of crime and this whole new project that was being set up in Liverpool. And also, this is why it's part of the, the social problem, the angry young man sort of thing. Social environment and just trying to sustain something through education, through investment and housing and all that was going on post-war. It's a perfect inclusion into the run-up to what we're trying to do with the social problem movies and and the British new wave. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's leave it at that for now. Please, anybody, if you haven't seen it, seek it out. We'll be back in a minute. It's your choice for the next show. We'll be back after this. So that's Violent Playground. Keep an ear out for Sapphire, which will be the next in the sequence of movies we're going to be talking about for the kitchen sink dramas. In the meantime, it's going to be your choice next time we're together. I think before we get together, there may be a special guest episode with Mark. Yeah. Somewhere along the line. But when it's you and me, sir, what have you got in mind for us?
2: Right. Well, I thought we'd take a, a slightly different um genre in mm-hmm. uh, well I know it's I know they've already started um, covering spy f- films during um, during the history of this uh, pod- great podcast oh, but yes. but you know going back to a thriller with this, the spy element and um, people being brainwashed into things <laughs> and agents and, and such like this so I thought I'd take us forward into several years into the 60s to, to for an example of this type of film yeah. um, Starring one of your favourite actors as is he, well.
1: Is, is he wearing glasses with a. <laughs> he's, he's wearing glasses. It's not Mr yeah. Palmer, is it? Uh,
2: it is Mr, Mr. Palmer, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, as you correctly guessed, uh, for the, uh, the audience out there, um, I'm picking our next watch to be The Ipcrest File um, from 1965. You little beauty. <laughs> starring Michael Caine. Um,
1: Possibly one of my favourite movies from a visual point of view. As much as well, I love the plot and obviously Mr. Kane, yeah, we're not going to go through this review without having to comment on how every shot is a perfect picture. You'll see what it, I mean when you go back to it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. There's there's true artistry to it. And when when you first spoke uh, inviting me on this podcast yeah. as a regular host, um, and I, as we've referenced before, coming up with you know straight away sat down and and on the train going home. And wrote out a list of like twelve films uh, straight away <laughs> that I would want you to cover at some point. The first one on the list was the Uppercruster.
1: See, really, this should have been my choice, you know that, but I can't. So I
2: know it was. I... I know it should have been, but I got sick of waiting for you. To... Um, but, no, but also, um, also, I, I just, I just thought it was, a, it was the right, <laughs> right timing to to bring this in.
1: Everybody so. else apart from me has selected all the Michael Caine movies so far. Well, yeah, I've done <laughs> uh, at least. Uh, at you least did one, Little Voice. Not, Little voice, yeah. Listener request for Sleuth.
2: Yeah.
1: What else has he been in that we've done? Uh, Man Who Would Be King was your choice. Yeah, that was mine as well, yeah. <laughs> One of my favourite actors, and I've not chosen a single movie. Oh, this is, isn't he got um, Nigel Bruce from Zulu's in this as well, isn't he? And, um, no, sorry, Nigel Green's in there, isn't he? Nigel oh, Green, Gordon yeah. Gordon Jackson. Uh, and,
2: yeah. and Gordon Jackson, yeah.
1: <laughs> Do you know what? We're going to be recording a couple of weeks' time. I could probably watch this about three or four times in the meantime. I am going to say, you're probably going to watch it
2: later today and then you'll watch it again closer to the Any
1: excuse for yeah. me to watch that movie? I've been hanging on and hanging on. Oh, I could talk about it now. It's fine. Yeah, just go for it, yeah. Marvellous, marvellous choice. One of the highlights that will be in, in our run so far. Stephen, thank you for taking part in... You know, the British New Wave series again. So lots more goodies to come. Lots more Basil deer. Yeah. You know, lots more interesting social problem stuff. Looking forward to the Ipcrest file. Thank you for being here today, mate. I'll see you very soon. It's my pleasure. Take care. Cheers, muddy. Bye-bye. Absolute Shah.
0: A positive shire. Well, voyage
2: Good luck, thank you.
0: his hand up, sir.